0: Alright, this is the Altieri Podcast. It's episode 16. I'm here with Jason Hominick, getting a mortgage as a business owner. He is the owner of Jason.Mortgages. He's here with us today. We are mutually acquainted through the Zakaris Price Podcast, and I'm excited to have him. Louise, let's go. <music> Jason, thank you so much for coming in today.
1: Yeah, glad to be here, Josh. Yeah,
0: I know. I'm excited. And, and you know, we were talking before this. I actually wrote this today because I want to know. <laughs> so it's awesome to have you and I'm excited for the conversation. So let's just start with a bit of uh, educational background in mortgages and we'll kind of go from there. So just as a point of education, um, let's discuss the different types of mortgages in Canada. I think you can break down.
1: Sure. So there's actually a lot of different types of mortgages in Canada. But if you wanted to break it down to just kind of the main, you know, subsets, yeah. you're looking at, first of all, rate types, fixed and variable. Okay. Um, mortgages, open and closed. Okay. Um, lines of credit, refinances, equity takeouts, purchases.
0: So are, are all these just ways to help the general public, uh, you know, if if they're in different situations is yeah. that why
1: they're all yeah and, and each one has its own little niche to it as far as qualifications what you need to qualify for really yeah so for instance um if you are doing a switch transfer you can always renew your. i don't mor- know what that means so your mortgage comes up for renewal okay and if you want to transfer it to another lender yeah. you have to re-qualify if you want to stay with your same lender yeah you don't have to qualify so if you've lost your job if something else has happened doesn't matter. As long as you've made your mortgages and you're up to date, they'll renew your mortgage. So, really? Yeah. So understanding the niche between the little ones. So I'll get a situation where a client will come and say, look, my mortgage is up for renewal. I just lost my job. Yeah. You know what? We'll go back. We'll negotiate with your existing lender yep. to try to get them a better rate, but not move it to a different lender so that they don't have to requalify again.
0: Okay. So let's talk about this. So we got open closed. Uh, difference. What's what's open? What's closed?
1: So open is you can pay it off at any time with no penalty. Um, whereas a closed mortgage, you can still pay most of them off. Not all of them, but most of them. Um, but there is a penalty. But the penalties vary depending on the type of mortgage. If it's a variable mortgage, you can break it at any time with only a three-month interest penalty. So that's a great mortgage with a lot of flexibility and a great rate. A fixed mortgage, it's going to depend on what the rate is when you got the mortgage and what the rate is at the time when you pay it out. And that's when they run into what's called an interest rate differential, which can be three months of interest or $25,000. Whoo. Yeah, wow. It's, yeah, okay. it's it's you, it, you really want to know, and that's the fine print of these mortgages, and that's where a lot of them vary and differ. An open mortgage, again, you're paying for it to be open, so your rates always higher.
0: Ah, uh, I see, I see. Okay, so there's a cost to that, regardless. Correct. Um, okay, that's great to know. Let's dip into number two here. So, like, honestly, in Canada, we were so regulated, but you know, even personally in the past, going through mortgages. You're, there's just so many names pop up that I've never mm. seen before. So can you just add value to that? What is How many lenders and what kind of carriers are there?
1: Yeah, um, there's probably over 100 different lenders. Uh, maybe over a couple hundred when you start putting in private mortgages. So uh, these are
0: funds and stuff, or what is it?
1: You've got MIX, which are mortgage investment corporations. You have your banks, you have your credit unions, you have trust companies. You have companies that are called monoline lenders. So these are Government of Canada insured mortgage lenders, Mm. but they don't have branches and they're not deposit taking institutions. They basically package mortgages up service them and they make the money mostly in the servicing but all of your major banks because they've have so much money and they can never get enough out through their own channels they'll actually invest in these mono lines so most of the mono lines are funded by the major banks
0: oh that's funny okay so um you know is there tier one two three type lenders like do you are they are they classed
1: yeah you you've got your a lenders your A minus, your B. Like the big five, six banks or whatever? Yeah, and your monolines as well. And it's really important to differentiate um, between the two. One's a deposit taking institution, one's not. But actually monolines, their mortgages are usually preferable to the banks. Their rates are usually better, but more importantly, their terms are better. So banks have posted rates. So if you went for a five-year fixed mortgage right now, you're going to see a posted rate at 5.25%. No one is paying 5.25% on a five-year fixed. Mm But why that's important is, let's say your mortgage right now is 2.5% for five-year fixed. If you go to break it with the bank, the bank says, sure, you can break your fixed mortgage. But to use the penalty when they calculate, they'll say, okay, when you got your mortgage, though, they, our posted rate was 5.25%. So they charge you the difference between the posted and your actual rate, oh, no way. multiply that by the term, and that's where you get these massive penalties. With the mono lines, whose rates are just as good, if not better, they don't have posted rates. So if you go to break that fixed, it's whatever the rate was on the contract to whatever the rate is at the time that you're paying out the mortgage. Okay, so
0: that's crazy. So these are the things that we don't know. So uh, it's what I'm hearing is it's not always necessarily better to go with the big boy versus somebody you haven't really heard, but the terms could be a little bit better.
1: Oh, absolutely. And these monolines are great. You don't have to change your banking. They'll take your payment out of whatever account that you have. Cool. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of benefits. It it all comes down to the terms and conditions, that fine print that you would never read because you don't look at these every day. We read them because we do.
0: Awesome. Um, So... Uh, give th- this is kind of the last educational question for everybody, um, if and when using a mortgage broker, can you just add some values to A, why should people use a mortgage broker and B, how do mortgage brokers get paid for their service?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the biggest reason to use a mortgage broker is when you go to a bank or a credit union or a trust company, their fiduciary responsibility is not to you as the client, it's to their employer. And the employer's job is to make as much money as they can for the shareholders. When you deal with a mortgage broker, our fiduciary responsibility is to you, the client. So we are obligated to find you the best deal. And with the disclosure requirements, if let's say, and we can't do this, but let's say you we, you you got a higher rate yeah, and we made more money. Right, We would then have to disclose to you in a very simple form, we're making more money because we're charging you a higher rate, <laughs> which of course would not be great for business. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But when you go to a bank representative, yeah. they do just that. They can make more as the rate goes up and they don't have to disclose that to you because they're not under the same disclosure requirements. So a mortgage broker is working for you. The banks don't make $3 billion a quarter because they're giving everyone the best deal. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And to be clear, you guys are paid from the lenders, not from the clients.
1: Correct, yeah. yeah. So typically, um, in sometimes in private mortgages and that, there's a fee charge because the lenders don't pay. But in my situation, probably 97% of all the mortgages that I do, the lender pays us a referral fee because it's less expensive for them yeah. to pay us a referral fee than it is for them to hire someone, go out, build an office, pay benefits, so on and so forth. So to them, it's their cost of customer acquisition.
0: Hey, that's the insurance model. I understand that one completely. And I, I, I I love it. Uh, okay. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, so, uh, the stuff that I'm really interested in, the entrepreneurial stuff. So, um, you know, obviously I I sent you these questions in advance and we kind of chatted on them a little bit, but you know, one of the things, uh, I wanted to talk to you about is you have, you know, um, employees of companies going out to get mortgages, and then you have business owners going out to get mortgages. Mm-hmm. And one thing I learned the hard way a few years back is that is a very different equation. Um, can you just just add to that?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big differentiator. So if you're employed as an employee with a company and you don't own, let's say, more than 10% of that company or own any of that company, it's an employment letter and a pay stub. And that's all you need to prove your income. If you make bonuses um, or you get overtime, then they'll take an employment letter or pay stub, but we'll take a two-year average. So if it's higher than what your employment letter says, we'll use that income to qualify. So pretty straightforward when you're employed for someone. Right. Now, if you're self-employed, well, then it comes down to how are you self-employed? Yeah. Are you a sole proprietor? Yeah. And if you're sole proprietor, then they're looking at two years notice of assessments plus your T1 generals and your statement of business activities. Yeah. If you're a commissioned salesperson, then it's your T4As, um, an employment letter, a pay stub, maybe some bank statements. If you're incorporated, it's two years T1 generals, two years notice of assessments, three years business financials, proof of... There's a lot, it's a lot more complex. It's insane. Certainly. But there's also some really great programs for people that are self-employed. Where is if you have 20% down or more as a down payment, or if you refinance and you have at least 20% equity in your home, yeah. there's a lot of lenders out there that will actually look at the financials or look at the base um, at your bank statements and not look at the notice of assessment number only. Okay. So even though it's a little more difficult sometimes in the paperwork to get uh, get approved as a self-employed person, there's actually a lot more programs. That are available to self-employed people to get them financed than there are for someone who's just salaried. So here's the thing: is that for people that
0: don't know, when you're going for a mortgage, and this is really you know uh, basic, all you all the banks are trying to figure out is how much and how do you get paid, right? What do you have access to? As a business owner, you must deal with business owners all the time that simply just don't take that much out of their companies; they yeah. leave it in their companies. Yeah, but it's sitting over there; it's just not sitting with them. So, yeah. um. You know, I remember going back for me having three different entities and not necessarily dividending that much out of those entities. And the banks are like, okay, we want to see statements from all those entities and we want to see all this. And for, is there a way um, to look at that through a different lens? Is there a streamlined process? What, what value can, can Jason provide to those business owners?
1: Yeah. So the first thing we do in an application process is we get all those income documents up front. Yeah. Cuz there's nothing worse than, you know, getting a approval or pre-approval yeah. and actually finding out it's not worth the paper it's written on. <laughs> so we actually look at the documents up front the way that a bank's going to look at the documents. Right. And then we can guide because, you know, I had a, as I was driving here this morning, I had a call with a client <laughs> who is self-employed and they said, "Look, we're buying a place next year. Yeah. Um I'm sure, I'm worried my income isn't going to be enough." And I'm like, "No problem, we'll go through all the documents. I'll tell you how much you need to show this year." so uh, that yeah, when yeah. you claim next year it's not going to be a problem straight through on the paper december it's a good yeah it's a great very very, <laughs> very convenient handy phone time call. <laughs> yeah, yeah ex- exactly so yeah. yeah that that's one of the things that we do is we look through that all and we say okay here's how you can structure it but the other thing is that because we don't work for one bank it might not work for one bank yeah but you might be able to get approved at another bank or a credit union yeah, or exactly. a trust company exactly. so we can match you up with the letter, lender that best fits your income
0: you are a business owner, your wife works for you, and she's on payroll. Um, uh, be
1: very careful when you say my wife works for me. It's actually <laughs> the, uh, very much the other way around. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? I know, yeah.
0: Her dream come true. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, she's on payroll, uh, vice versa. Uh, she owns a very successful business. One of our clients, her husband works for her. Um, how does that work? For an application when they're both coming from the same source and that source is their business they own.
1: Mm-hmm. So 99.9% of the time, if you are employed by your spouse's company, the lender is going to consider you both self-employed.
0: Okay. That's what I figured. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure. Okay. That makes sense. So again, both of them would go through that same process together. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, let's, let's wrap this up with um, what can... Uh, business owners do in advance, and I think you kind of leaned on this a little bit with your phone call this morning. You were telling us about if they're thinking of, you know, next year, I'm going to think about getting into the market or deeper into the market. What can I do right now to think ahead a little bit?
1: Yeah, the best thing to do is to talk to a broker, yeah, and have them look at your situation specifically because there's so many directions in which that could head, and so many things that you could do ahead of time. That help. So I had a client once that their accountant advised them just to take their income out as shareholder loans. Okay. Which is great for the client for tax purposes. Horrible for trying to buy a home. Really? Right. Shareholder loans aren't income. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So you know, having those conversations, and again, talk to your accountant. You know, they're the ones you know yeah. dealing with the tax man. For sure. Um, but also have a conversation with the broker and said, okay, this might be great for taxes, but not really good for mortgage application. And there's I mean many other things too. You know, If there's a credit issue, sometimes there's little credit things that pop up that you don't even know about, but you can address them in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. The worst thing to do is to write an offer on a place, go to buy it, submit your application, and then find out there's a credit problem that's going to take a couple months to fix.
0: That's awesome. Okay. That's, uh, that's kind of my entrepreneurial focus. And um, the last section I wanted to talk to you about more kind of organically is How do we deal with, um, I'm I'm just interested on the investment side of things. So Mm -hmm. there's two portions to this. One, you want to buy an investment property, uh, but you're mortgaged on your primary property. How does that play into the mortgage you take on on the second investment property?
1: Yeah, and that also depends from lender to lender. As we talked about, lender guidelines vary greatly depending on the type of lender. So if you're going to buy an investment property in Canada, you have to have 20% down. There were days actually you could get 100% financing on rental purchases. Those days are long since gone. Really? Yeah.
0: Don't you need 20% down for your primary anyway, though?
1: No. You can get 5% down. doesn't matter if you're a first-time buyer, third-time buyer. If it's a primary residence, you can still buy in Canada with only 5%
0: down. 5%. Wow. Okay.
1: Well, yeah. All right. Um, so getting back to the rental property, when you look at the rental property, the income that's going to be derived from that property... Some lenders will say, okay, we'll take that income, we'll take half of it and we'll add it to your income. So if your rent is $1,000, they're gonna take $500 a month, add that to your income, which isn't great. It doesn't really help you qualify for that much more. Yeah. You have some lenders out there though, that will take 75 or 80% of the rental income and they'll offset that against the mortgage payment which is huge. Oh, that's huge. Because if you can get a place that's cash flowing, now it basically wipes out the cost. So you don't need that much more income, if any more, to qualify.
0: So I was wondering about that because I was wondering if the banks would come and they'd say, well, if this thing sits vacant for three months, you need to be able to supply that sort of payment for this mortgage if it's sitting vacant. So you're Mm -hmm. telling me that's not a part of their calculation.
1: Well, it depends on the lender, Uh, but certainly it is. But even at 75% of an offset, they're still accounting for, that's 20% of the year, yeah. that's almost three months, yeah, uh, you know, you two and okay. a half that they're going to, they're going to account for that in there.
0: Okay. Uh, that's a great, um, another part of that question. Can you put a property inside of a holding company?
1: You certainly can. Um, the amount of lenders that do that are farther and fewer between right. than uh, yeah. once were, um, but yeah, that's still, uh, still available. Uh, sometimes too, you know, you might expect probably a little bit higher rate. Um, you and know, this the, is an
0: accounting question, but in a holding company, if you sold, you obviously there's tax implications, I think, right?
1: Yeah, that's definitely an accounting uh, question. When you sell, it depends if you have all the shares of the company, the company owns, and then you sell all the shares, uh, whether right. property transfer tax is involved. Yeah. Definitely an account. I'll be punching above my weight class if I try to answer nice. that question. <laughs> Let's try that. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, Jason said. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Take it to the bank. <laughs> Or not the bank, go to your no. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah.
0: awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then uh, last part of this, um, what is the uh, process of purchasing as a Canadian, let's just say even say BC resident, going into the States mm-hmm. as a secondary property?
1: Yeah, so that's a lot more difficult um, because the States have... A lot of different requirements and then again talking about tax questions yeah owning foreign properties then changes uh, right. how things can affect your taxes but we do have connections with lenders down in the states uh, that we use yeah um but when, do you, can
0: you deal with your canadian broker and buy a place in scottsdale or, or yeah, wherever ab-
1: absolutely you can yeah yeah okay. and it's through relationships that we actually have some lenders that lend directly through there other times it's a relationship through another broker yeah but typically when you're looking at buying in the u.s most if you want to get your typical a type financing yeah you're looking at a minimum of 35 percent down
0: and you need uh an american bank account and all that kind of stuff
1: you'll have to get that set up eventually yes
0: yeah okay so there's a process to that and again broker is the answer for that absolutely good man jason Thank you for coming. Jason.Mortgages, check him out. Uh, we are both proud sponsors of the Carison and Price podcast. That's how we met. I'm so glad we did meet. Um, check out Jason.Mortgages. He's got a lot of good answers for you. And um, I hope that was some value. Jason, thanks again, man.
1: Yeah, Josh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me in. Awesome.